or up to you, actually. And so, yeah, not up to us. That's up to you. So, anyways, all right. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 is where we'll be. And then we're going to go to John 21. If you want to have your finger in both of those places, John 21, you can turn your Bible there or turn your Bible on, whichever way that works for you now. Um, but we're glad that you're here. And we are in a two-part or actually a four-part series called The Comeback. How many of you were here for last week with Pastor Bubba's message, The Comeback? Great message, wasn't it? Huh? It was powerful. How many of you liked that video? Man, that video was powerful last week. If you haven't seen it, go look on our Facebook. We posted that video uh, the other day. And so encourage you to encourage you to go watch that and listen to that message. Great, great message. But today, the title of my message is called When the Rooster Crows. When the Rooster Crows. And so you'll find out why I titled that in just a minute. Um, but let me set up the scene for you. Uh, you know, all of us love comebacks. We all love comebacks. We love comeback games. Any guys in here that love comeback games? Come on, some sports games. Guys down by 27, comes back and wins it in the end. We love comeback stories. I love watching ESPN's little 30 for 30. They always do these stories of these guys who are down and out and have these big comeback stories of Olympic athletes and all this stuff. We love comeback movies. I put together a little list of kind of my favorite comeback movies for you, just to help you. If you've been looking for some good movies to watch and you haven't seen any lately, these are some oldies, but some classics and some goodies, and I think probably some of the best comeback movies out there. And so let me show you my, my top three comeback movies of all time that I've seen so far. The first one is, anybody know what this is? The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody seen this movie? If you've seen this movie, raise your hand. If you haven't seen this movie, write it down. You need to see this movie. It's an awesome, awesome movie. Um, Will Smith, and that's actually his real son, uh, they, they played uh, in a role. And the, the thing that I love about these comeback, this comeback movie, it's a true story. True story of a guy they, I mean, living in a subway bathroom uh, with his son, trying to sell things and trying to make a living. And just a really awesome story of a guy of determination, didn't quit, saw it through. Awesome comeback story. The second one is probably one of my all-time favorite sports comeback movies of all time. There's a lot of good ones. Hoosiers, Remember the Titans. There's a lot of good ones. But this one is probably by far one of the best ones that I love. Let me throw that one up there. Come on. Any Rudy fans in the house? I love Rudy. I mean, you, how can you not cheer for Rudy? I mean, Rudy's like 4-3, you know, wants to, play, wants to play football for the Fighting Irish, has this dream from when he was a young kid watching Notre Dame play, made this promise, I'm going to play for the Irish, I'm going to play for the Irish, and everything stacked up against him that he'd never play, and then ends up getting on the practice squad. Anyway, I don't want to give it up. You know, I want to, I want to tell you what happens, but if you just look at the picture, you can kind of figure out what happens. But uh, if you've never seen that movie check out Rudy. And then last but not least, I think by far the ultimate best, nothing has ever even come close to the best comeback movie of all time. Uh, About a couple years, uh, probably two years ago, I sat down and told my boys, listen, if there's any movie you're going to see, you've got to see this movie. And so I had, we had, you know, I brought them into manhood with this movie. Can we throw this movie up? Come on. How many of you know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? I mean, they ain't, they ain't nothing better than some Ivan Drago telling, I'm going to kill you. And then you see this happen. And this is like the ultimate stand up on the couch and you're, you're fighting and hitting and stuff. It's probably why we got a lot of bloody noses in our home and all that kind of stuff. But we lo- I love Rocky. And I know he's made like 17 movies and it seems like Rocky can't die. 
he is, he is going to always make it. But Rocky Four, by the way, is the best one. If you want to go watch any Rocky out of the 17, Rocky Four is the best one with the uh, Soviet. So anyways, those are comebacks. We love comebacks. We love seeing comebacks. We love hearing about comebacks. But how many you know comebacks are awesome to watch, but they're hard to live? Man, they're awesome to see, but man, it's a hard thing to live out a comeback. And this series has all been about this idea of it's not too late, you're never too far. And we all in our lives need a comeback. Pastor Bo talked about our common comeback last week. And today I want to set up a scene, Mark chapter 14. I want us to think of this, and the reason I talk about comeback movies is because I want us to look at this like a comeback movie. Uh, this is, let me set up the scene for you. We got our two main lead characters in this story, Jesus who's always the lead character. But then we got another guy, and his name's Peter. He used to be named Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter. And then we got kind of the supporting cast in this movie, all the rest of the disciples. They've just finished up their final last supper, and, uh, and Jesus is having kind of a, a final little pep talk with, with his boys. And so we catch up in Mark chapter 14, a story of Jesus and Peter and these guys. Now, let me just kind of do a real quick update and a little biography on Peter, because Peter's our main guy we're going to talk about today. Peter is a professional fisherman by trade. Um, he was probably one of the first followers to ever follow Jesus. He was one of the only disciples that was married. Most people don't know that. He was the oldest disciple. Peter had a motto in life. Think, well, actually, act first, think second. That was Peter's motto. Anybody know somebody like that? Talk first, think second. That was Peter's motto. Peter was, Peter was a competitive dude. It's probably why I absolutely love Peter. Peter always wanted to be first. He thought second place was the first loser. He always wanted to be first person. He always wanted to win. He always wanted to show that he was the best. And in his mind, he honestly thought he was the best. He was always this. He, he was the guy, he's the only human man that ever walked on water next to Jesus. Now, he did sink, okay, but hey, give it to him. The other guy stayed in the boat and at least he got out on the boat. He's a guy that, after the resurrection, was the first one to preach and led thousands of people to the Lord. He was probably the second greatest church planner in all of the Bible. Uh, he wrote a number of books in the Bible. We have First Peter, Second Peter, and a number of, of other books in the Bible. So, uh, his name was Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter. At the end of his life, he actually ended up giving up his life by getting crucified on a cross, much like Jesus, but upside down. I mean, it's a hardcore dude. And so in, the reason I share all that with you is because I want you to know a little bit about his personality. I want you to know a little bit about who he is. Because for us to appreciate his story, we've got to know about who he is. Now, let, let me set up the scene for you. <clears throat> so Jesus is having this conversation with these guys. And in Mark chapter 14, I want you to read with me in verse 26. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you. Underline that. I will go before you. You'll see why that's important in a little bit. And I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away. Now notice, I want you to think about this, okay? So camera zooms in on Jesus. Hey guys, listen, you're all going to fall away. It's going to happen. I'm telling you. And then the, pe- the, the camera quickly goes over to Peter. And you get this close-up Peter. Peter's like, whoa, whoa hold up, hold up, hold up. This is what Peter says. Hey, even though they all fall away, I will not because I'm just that awesome. And Jesus says to him, shut up, boy. No, no. He says what he says is truly 
truly, this is what he said. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You want to hear the truth? This is what the truth is. The truth is, I'm going to tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And but he said emphatically, like, like this is kind of like some kind of brave heart moment. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. You can see like his cape flying in the wind. And all the other guys said the same. Let me ask you this. Have you ever said, I will never, and now you are? Anybody? I'll never move back home. Welcome home. Glad you're here. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, will, I will never, I'll never be like my parents. Really? How's that going for you? I'll never say those things. You know, when, uh, when I'm a Texas boy from Texas, um, and so one of the things that I said I would never do is I said, I'll never move to Louisiana. And, and so sure enough, I came for an internship that was supposed to last uh, nine months, and here we are 16 years later, and my never became a, ah, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I said I would never marry a Cajun girl. And I got me a St. Martinville one. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and then the ultimate one, I think, is I said, listen, when I was 18, 19, and 20, I, I drove a Mustang, okay? A must, I mean, it was, it was an awesome car. I loved it. The police loved me. They absolutely loved me. Derek, you would have loved me, man. You would have absolutely loved me. I mean, they were all over me all the time. And so I upgraded to a Tahoe. And I thought, man, you know, if I, if I can't have a Mustang as fast, I'm going to have a Tahoe, more of a, kind of like a man's car. You know, it's a big car. I can get a lot of people in. I was a youth pastor, threw them all in. And one of the things I said, you know, Lindsay and I got married. Then we started having kids. And we were throwing all these kids in this Tahoe and all that stuff. And then I said, listen, I will never, ever drive a minivan. I draw that line. And now y'all see me in my Honda Odyssey just driving around. <laughs> I lean my chair back just a little bit just because of embarrassment. No, I, it's my swagger wagon. I like it now. I don't care what you say. I love it. I got DVD player. My seats can recline. I can throw. I mean, it's awesome. So my door is automatically open for me. What about yours? Okay. <laughs> but have you ever been where Peter is? Have you ever been there? Bold, confident, a tad cocky. I got this. I'll never do that. God, I'll never do that. God, I'll, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never mess around with that. And then sure enough, God, I'd ne- I'll never date a guy like that. And sure enough, God, I'll never, I'll never do this. Never again. Never. Okay, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I pray for on Sundays. This is it. I'm done. Never again. And then the next Sunday they came back up and go, Hey, how can I pray for you? Well, I think we relate to Peter more than we care to sometimes. We all got areas in our life where we feel kind of bold and confident. And I'm just never going to do that. And here's Peter with his cape in the wind. I'm Listen, all these guys, they weak. They weak guys. Jesus, you got the cream of the crop right here. Listen, they may deny you, but I won't. And so we have this kind of confident, bold, cocky, Peter, wanting to almost prove himself to Jesus. Like, listen, I, you're, listen, Jesus, you're glad you got me on the team. I am your LeBron. I'm it. And that's what Peter's confidence is. He is 
overly confident and cocky of what he has. But Peter thinks his performance is why Jesus loves him. And I want you to go to verse 72, 1472. A lot happens in between verses 31 through 72. Jesus, I love the story of Peter and Jesus because it's almost like God interweaves their stories because Peter's on trial, whether he's going to deny Christ or not, and Jesus is on trial. They're both on trial. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus gets brought to a trial. And the Bible says that Peter was at a distance watching what was happening with Jesus. See, this big, bold, cocky Peter said, I'll never abandon you, was at a distance. And he stayed at a distance. The Bible goes on and begins to say that he's on the outside now and people are starting to recognize who Peter is. They go, hey, aren't you like one of Jesus' guys? The first one. No, 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 no. I don't even know. Who? who? What you talking about? And there's denial number one. Then the Bible says that a young girl sees Peter and recognizes him. A little teenage girl says, oh, no, 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 no. You're Jesus. You're that, you're that Jesus guy. You're that following him. And he goes, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. Denies him two times. Finally, the Bible says that someone sees him again, surrounded at a fire. They're sitting at a little outdoor weenie roast. And they're having, they're just roasting their hands, trying to keep warm. Someone looks at him yet again on the third time and says, hey, wait, you're one of those. And the Bible says that he got so mad, or in maybe the Cajun, he got flushed. That he literally cursed Jesus. I don't know who the... And then you fill in every expletive that he wanted to say. Not only did he curse the situation, he actually cursed Jesus himself. Come on, how many you know that's, that's pretty low? This guy who just moments ago was confidently saying, I'll, I, you, you glad you got me on the team, is now cursing Jesus. And in verse 72, we catch up with Jesus in this movie. And this is the scene. Mark 14, 72, and immediately the rooster crowed what? What does it say? A second time. Remember, Jesus said something about the crow crowing a second time. And it says, and Peter, what did Peter do when that happened? <laughs> he remembered. He remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And then he broke down and he wept. How many know Peter wanted to strangle that rooster? Brother wanted some Popeyes after that. I'm going to kill this thing. And it was in this moment, though, when Peter was, had a head-on collision with his pride, with his failure, with his sin. And in that moment, he saw his sin for what it was. And, and I feel for Peter. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I feel for Peter because I know what it's like to let Jesus down. Any of you? I know what it's like to make some promises that I say I'll never do and I'll always will and then to come up short on those promises. And you know what I love about the Bible? I absolutely love about the Bible that it takes the failures of its leaders and it shares them with us. You know, Christianity is way different than any other religion because every other religion makes their leaders to be heroes. The Bible takes the heroes of the Bible and makes them failures. You look all throughout scripture and some of the best men that God used mightily were ultimate failures. David, a man after God's own heart. Oh yeah, by the way, he killed somebody and committed adultery. Y'all with me here? Samson, awesome feet and strength. Gave his strength away, sleeping with the prostitute. Oh, sounds good. 
Are y'all with me here? The Bible is constantly showing us the failures of its leaders to point us to who the real hero is in the Bible. And it's not the men. It's not the leaders. It's actually Jesus. So here's the question. What do we do when the rooster crows? Because how many you know it's always crowing? It's always crowing. It's always crowing in our lives. And what do you do in that moment where you said you'd never do it again and you do it again? And the realization hits. I said I'd always be faithful to my wife. And I haven't been. I said I've always, I, would, I would never touch this drug or this thing. And here I am in the middle of it. What do we do? Well, the good news is the Bible says that the church was built on failures, on sinful people, on people that couldn't cut it, couldn't make it, screw-ups. And this church is no exception. Whether you know this or not, our church here, just Jennings, not even counting Crowley and Eunice, just Jennings has adulterers and fornicators and former drug addicts and people, some people who have murdered people. Some people who have raped people, some people who have been strung out on every drug, alcoholics. Come on, welcome home. Yeah. And so we come into this place where we think oftentimes that our failures keep us from church. And most people don't step into church because of their failures. But actually, your failures is what invites you into this church. It's actually the only thing that gets you in this church. Are you a screw-up? Yeah, you can come in. Are you a screw-up? No, I'm good. Get out of here. Okay, so it's kind of how this goes. We'll start doing that process next week when you show up, okay? But listen to me. Our church is not a museum for the saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And this is a place where people come broken and hurting and can find healing from Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus came as a physician. You know what a physician does? They help heal sick people. That's what a physician does. You know what all the, all the healings that Jesus performed had in common? There's one thing that all of the healings that Jesus had that he performed that had in common. You know what it was? Sick people. Sick people. Anybody in here have a past that you totally wish you would not have? Anybody in here have that? Anybody have something in here that you regret that you did? Anybody have in here something that was painful that somebody did to you that you're having a hard time forgiving them for? Anybody have something like that? Come on, anybody have some things that you wish nobody else knew? Anybody struggle with these things? Anybody in here feel like you've done too much? You've gone too far? Come on, listen to me. If that is you, you are a candidate for a miracle. And you're a candidate for a comeback. That's you. You and I are candidates for a comeback, not because of our successes, but because of our failures. And it sets us up, which let me give you this first one. Take these notes with me. If, well, let me write this down. Your setback can be the starting point to your comeback. Your setback can be the starting point to your comeback. Where you fail is actually the starting point to when God can bring a comeback in your life. Now, let me set up the next story. John chapter 21. Turn there with me. 
So John chapter 1 all the way through John chapter 20, the book of John, is an incredible story of really of all that Jesus has done for us. Okay, John chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, the story of Jesus and his, what he did on the cross and then his resurrection. John chapter 20, at the end of John chapter 20, Jesus is resurrected. He shows up to his disciples. You know, the whole doubting Thomas scene where Thomas goes, I don't believe it. And Jesus is like, well, touch it. Okay, so, so that is this whole thing. John chapter 20, at the very end of John chapter 20, you can go look at it for yourself. At the very end of John chapter 20, there's like two verses. And it says, the purpose of this book It's pretty much, I'm summarizing, paraphrasing, it's so that you can find life in Jesus. And John chapter 20, it's kind of like if you're at a movies, it's kind of like the music crescendo at the end. The hero's already done what he's done, you know, uh, Iron Man has defeated the enemy and everybody's like walking around, you know, all running off into the sunset. And that's what John chapter 20 really is. It's kind of the sunset moment. Music is crescendoing. You're just waiting for the credits to start rolling down the screen. But the great news about all of this is as the rolling is rolling down the screen, something else happens. It's not over. You know, my boys and I, we love movies. We love going to see movies as a family. Uh, we just, we, we, we've seen Star Wars and we just love trilogies. We love all that kind of stuff. But one of my favorite series of, of movies that are, that me and my boys and my wife like to watch is all the Marvel series. Any, any of your kids in here love Iron Man and Thor and, and uh, Captain America. And, and my boys know something that maybe a lot of people may or may not know. And this is a really cool thing. My boys are always excited to go see these movies, but what they're actually more excited is actually not to see the movie. See, what most people don't know is after Iron Man defeats everybody and the credits start rolling, our family stays seated. We sit and we let everybody else get out of the the theater and we become our... No, we don't do that. So (laughs) we sit there because every Marvel movie has what's called a stinger. It's a stinger. And a stinger is a sequel or a clip or a scene after the credits. Most people don't know that. They get up and leave. But we don't. We sit in there and look like the stupid ones. Y'all gonna, the, you know, the guy's sweeping up. Y'all gonna leave? No. There's a stinger that's coming up. And after every Marvel movie, there is a stinger that sets up the next movie. You go watch any of those and wait. And afterwards, there's this stinger. There's this scene that sets up the next scene. John chapter 21 is the stinger. It's the next scene. We thought it was over. And Jesus goes, no, surprise, not yet. There's still John 21. And you know why he says that? Because in John 20, when he shows up to the disciples, there's a guy missing. Guess who's missing? Peter. And Jesus doesn't close the scene until he fixed everything. And Peter needed to meet Jesus. And so John chapter 21, read with me in 21, Verse one, and it says after this, so after the credits had gone and everything was over and everybody thought it was all good and done and hey, we lost one, no big deal. Jesus reveals himself again and to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. How many would like to be those two other disciples that didn't get your name in the book? Come on, what a ripoff. <laughs> How lazy is this writer? Okay, we got Simon, we got Thomas, we got Nathaniel. Man, I'm so tired. Two other people. 
It's kind of like you ever been like on Facebook and you've been like in a big group photo and somebody posts it and they tag everybody but you. You ever been there? And so then you got this awkward position. Like, do I tag myself? Because that's kind of creepy. Or do I not? You know what I mean? Or, or it's kind of like when somebody posts a Facebook profile photo of their profile and you were in that photo with them, but they cropped you out. They just got them. You're like, wait, I was up in that picture with you. You cropped me out. And all they got is your hand on the other side of them. That's what this is. Anyways, that has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, and so it says, verse three, Simon Peter said to them, now watch this. I'm going what? Now you got to imagine, he just denied Jesus three times, the most utter failure of his life he's experienced. He's denied Jesus. And here we are. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm done. I'm finished. I'm tired of this. I've given three years of my life to this man. And I am a failure. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And he goes back. I mean, you've been there before. You've been there? What God saved you out of? Eventually, God maybe is not doing what you think he's supposed to be doing or you failed enough and you figure out, you know what, this whole God thing, this thing ain't working out. I mean, they say it's supposed to work out and I'm supposed to be blessed and highly favored. And I just feel like I'm depressed and hurting. I'm tired of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go back to what I know. I know drinking. I'm going to go back to that. I know how to, I know how to kill my pain with some over-the-counter drugs. I'm going to go do that. I know how to do those things. And we go back to the things that we said that we would never do. And we go right back to it. And I want you to notice this. It says, after they revealed themselves again to the disciples. Well, actually, verse 3, sorry. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught, that night they caught nothing. How many of you know that when you quit, it's contagious? It's contagious. Not only did Peter quit, all the other guys go, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this God thing too. I've been doing it for three years with you. I'm tired of this. I'm quitting. Good, I'm quitting too. I'm going to tell you right now, people are watching you. They're watching your marriage. They're watching your, your life. They're watching your relationship with God. They're watching how you parent your children. They're watching, and are you going to quit? Because if you quit, I'm just telling you, it's contagious. Because they'll say, well, if he quit... I can quit. That's why I feel such a weight even in the role that I have here at the church because I know more than anything for Pastor Bubba and I, we've got to lead by example because there's so many people that it can become contagious to. Oh, if he does that, then I can do that. Y'all with me here? And I want you to show you, I want to show you how the enemy works because he's, his ultimate failure, he, he denies Jesus three times and then all of a sudden here we have this moment and can you imagine, the Bible actually says when the rooster crowed that Peter not only remembered what Jesus says, there's another, there's, in, in the book of Luke, it actually says that Jesus and Peter met eye to eye. <sighs> can you imagine in that moment, I don't know this blankety blank Jesus. And then you just turn and there's Jesus. Can you, can you imagine, some of you have been hurt by people and it's legitimate but can you imagine that hurt? The, the one man who should have been, here, been there for him in that moment was cursing him out. 
The one guy he poured all of his life into for three years should have been standing right by his side, championing him to the cross, said, I don't care a blanky blank about this guy. And so can you imagine the shame and the guilt? The verse says that he was broken and he wept and he ran away in that moment. And let me show you how this works in our lives. Because the enemy's really good at this. The enemy's really good at telling you, you'll never do that. You're right. You'll never do that. You'll never do that. And then as soon as you do it, then he brings shame on you to make you ashamed of it. And then he holds you down with the shame for you to never get back up again. My boys and I love watching UFC. Um, and we just love it. We, we love watching guys beat each other up. I don't know what it is, but we love seeing it. And there is a move that's called the rear naked choke. Now, I know if you don't, you in UFC, it can seem a little weird, but it's what it's called. And the way that it works is an opponent, while he's fighting with his other opponent, he uses the strength of the other opponent to get him into this position. So the other one, you know, if he's a big jabber, he'll jab and he'll get off balance. And then the other opponent would literally throw him to the ground and get on his back and put his arm around the other guy's throat. I'm deciding if I want to prove this or not. I don't know. Anyways. Y'all want me to, don't you? I mean, uh, so I'm not going to because um, these muscles might really take somebody out. So, no, stop, quit. So, let's not digress here, okay? And the opponent will literally take their arm around the other person's neck and literally choke them out. And that's what the enemy does to us. He takes our shame, our guilt, our fear, our failures, and he literally puts it around our throat, holds us to the ground until we just tap out of the game. That's what he does. He's good at it. He's an accuser. He likes to take what you did and make it who you are. Hey, you didn't just sin sexually. You're a prostitute. You didn't just, you didn't just do some drugs. You're a drug addict. And he wants to label you what that is. Are y'all with me here? Y'all, have y'all heard this voice before? And this is what he's doing to Paul, I mean to Peter. Peter's running. He's on the run. How many of you know this is the worst place for Peter spiritually? You know why it is? Because he's tasted enough of Jesus to go back to fishing. It's not the same anymore. But he's so discouraged and depressed, he can't move forward to go pursue God again. And it's a, just a terrible place to be spiritually. Because I know what God wants for me. But I feel like I've heard him so much that I, I got to go back. But then when I go back, it's not even funny anymore. How many know that? Like sin's not even funny anymore because you're like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I'm, oh, well, you know, I'm just, really, it's what it is. Because you got God in you now and he's going, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. So I want you to continue. Verse 4, it says, just as the day was breaking Notice this now. Jesus was standing on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, (laughs) to some grown men, children, do you have any fish? Can you see the sarcasm in what he's asking? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. You know, what's amazing about this story is where these guys thought that they would run to get away from God is exactly where they met God. Come on, have you ever been there? The, the place that you were running to try to get away from God is the exact place where God met you? Jail, prison, at a bar. I've, I've met more people that have met Jesus in a bar. 
at a rock concert, trying to get away from everything. And in those moments of trying to run away from God is the place where we meet God. And the place where they went to go run, man, let's just go do some fishing. Well, guess what? Here's Jesus. Now, they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus is there. And this location is very significant. Let me tell you why this is significant. Because three years earlier, guess where Jesus called Peter from? Guess what, Je- what Peter was doing? Fishing at this exact location. And guess what happened? Jesus did the exact same thing to them at this time. They weren't catching anything, and Jesus said, throw it over to the right side. So the exact same scenario of what happened when he was called is the exact same. God, he's repeating the same thing over and over again to him, almost for a reason. And he insults them. He really does. He calls them, first off, he calls them children. Come on, I'm a grown man. Don't call me no child. But then secondly, he asks them, hey, how's that working for you? Catching anything there? But not only that, he then proceeds to give them the greatest insult. Gives professional fishermen fishing advice. Hey, why don't you throw it over on the right side? And Peter goes, oh, the right side. Mm, Yeah, guys, we've been fishing all on the left side. We probably should be fishing on the right side, don't you think? I mean, we never tried the right side. Okay, these guys are professional fishermen. They fished on the front side, the back side, the right side, the left side. They fished everywhere. And here's Jesus going, hey, why don't you go fish on the right side? And so sure enough, they do what Jesus tells them to do. Which leads to our second point. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus asking them questions he knows the answer to? You ever thought that? It's kind of funny. Jesus, when Jesus asks you a question, he's not asking it because he doesn't think. He knows the answer, Okay. And the reason why he's asking is this second point. Write this down. Because your failures don't prevent a comeback. Your pride does. Your failure doesn't prevent a comeback. Your pride does. The reason she has kept asking them, hey, how's it going for you? You catching any fish? The reason why he was asking that is because Jesus wanted Peter to be honest. And the first person that you and I need to quit lying to is ourselves. It's ourselves. Hey, man, how's things going? I'll do this going good. Liar. (laughs) Liar. Jesus didn't demand perfection from his guys. They're they're teenage guys, most of them. They're going to blow it. He knew that. What he demanded was honesty. Just be honest. And what, what the reason why he's asking, hey, how's the fishing going for you? Because he wanted Peter just to go, it sucks. To be honest, it's terrible. We're not catching anything. I've been out here all night. That's what he's looking for. And can I tell you, that's what God is looking for in you and for me. Hey, how's your marriage? Oh, it's going good. Oh, no, it's not. It's terrible right now. It's absolutely terrible. Hey, how are you doing? I'm strung out on some stuff right now. Actually, I'm walking in here high now. Last night, man, I lived it up. God is just looking for us to just be honest. And your comeback has nothing to do with your failure. It has everything to do if you're going to be too prideful to actually get your comeback. Some of us in here just need to be brutally honest. Hey, how's things going? And we want to fake it. Church is the best, best place for us to come in and fake it. 
And yet church is the place, as we shared just a minute ago, where we have all these people who've committed all this stuff who God saved us from. Man, this is the best place for us to be honest. Y'all with me? Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know. I know. I'm just waiting for you to be honest with yourself. I can't do this. I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to pills. My marriage sucks. My kids hate me. I hate my job. Can we just be honest? Because in the honesty is when God can do his greatest work. Amen. Amen. It's where he works. And it says, so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. They finally realized, hey, it's Jesus. Now watch this. When Simon Peter had heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments. I don't know why he was naked. Don't ask me why he's naked, but he finally put on some clothes. Thank you, Peter, for putting on clothes. But he put on clothes and he jumped in for work. Uh, he was stripped for work and he threw himself in the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat and dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. I don't know about you. I've never seen anybody out swim a boat. Has any of y'all ever seen anybody out swim a boat? So the Bible says that he realizes that it's Jesus. He jumps in the water and the other guys bring the boat in. I can just imagine the scene. He's swimming and they just rowing the boat right back to him. Hey, you want to jump in? I mean, you can come in if you want to. And they're just rowing the boat. And they're getting there. And I want to tell you, this is, this is in there for a reason, though, because I want to show you why Peter does this. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, hey, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And now watch this. Here's our guy again, Super Peter. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Do you notice what Peter is doing? He's swimming, and now he's working strenuously to come and try to get this big old thing. Hey, God, hey, can you get me some fish? I got it, I got it, I got it. Guys, back off. I got this. Oh, 153, look at this. This is my catch right here. This is my catch. Not only is he swimming, he's straining. He's effort. He's constantly trying to prove to Jesus, I'm still your man, Jesus. Look how strong I am. Look how good I am. Look, I tried one. I wanted to be here first. I jumped in the water to come see you. They were like swimming in the boat and, you know, rowing a boat and everything. Almost like he's constantly just wanting to prove himself to Jesus. Look, Jesus, am I still good? Do you still love me? Look, look, I did all this stuff for you. And this leads to the third point. And that is that your comeback is not because of your great faith, but God's great grace. This story is not about how great Peter is. This story is about how great Jesus is. And this story contrasts Peter's need to constantly prove himself to Jesus and Jesus's invitation. Watch what happens here. Verse 12. And so Jesus says to him, good job, Peter. You're a great swimmer, man. No. Dude, man, look how strong you are, bro. You've been working out. 153 fish. Nope. He also didn't say what I thought he would have said, which would have been what I would have said, which is, I told you so. Remember I told you about that three? No, he doesn't. You know what he says? He gives an invitation. Hey, guys, you hungry? You want some breakfast? Breakfast, not breakfast, breakfast. You want some breakfast? And now watch this. 
says, when they do, won't you come and have breakfast with me? And now none of the disciples dared to ask, who, who, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. Notice, no condemnation, no lecture, no rebuke, just a, hey, you hungry? And John 21, verse 15 is a story. Is, it continues on and it closes out this, this little stinger sequel of this movie and it says and when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these now some scholars think when he said do you love me more than these they think that he was pointing to the fish and the fishing hey do you love me more than fishing because you seem to always go back to fishing but some scholars believe and i think this one's to be more true is that he pointed to the other disciples and said hey do you love me more than these because do you remember what peter had said Remember in Mark, he said, hey, all these guys aren't going to love you, but you, they, I love you. I truly love. And so it's almost like Peter, Jesus was saying, hey, do you still love me more than these guys? Ooh. And then this is what he says. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, we'll feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, tend my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now watch this. The third time, Peter was what? He was grieved. Now I want you to, I want you to notice this. Is, there's a lot of symbolism that's going on here. When Peter denied Jesus the third, for the three times, do you know what he was sitting around? A fire. And guess what they're sitting around now? A fire. How many times did Jesus, or did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him if he loved him? Three times. Almost as if every time he was just letting him know, do you love me? No, I didn't. Well, good, I loved you. Do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Well, I loved you. One of our guys was telling me between the first and second service, they put a correlation together. See, Peter denied Jesus three times and the rooster crowed how many times? Two times. And so that equals the number of five, which is the number of grace. See, your comeback is not about how awesome and great your faith is. Your comeback is about how awesome and great his grace is for all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all your shortcomings. See what Jesus was trying to prove to Peter? Hey, you're more wicked than you could ever imagine, Peter. But guess what? You're also more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. And I'm here to tell you, some of, many of, all of us, all of us, you're more wicked than you actually think you are. You think you're pretty good. You're really not. Welcome to our Savior's church. You're not that good. You're really wicked. The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. No man can know it. Our heart is wicked. That's why you keep struggling. That's why you can't make your marriage right. That's why you can't get over the addiction. That's why when the rooster crows, it's always crowing in your life because you're always screwing it up. Because we are wicked. But we also are more loved and more accepted than ever before. And that love and acceptance propels us to now begin to allow Jesus to clean us and to help us and to give us the comeback. See, when the rooster crows in our life, we need to know that your failures 
will put you in touch with God's grace. And God's grace puts you in touch with Jesus. See, Peter was an amazing leader, not because of his successes, but because of his failure. His failures were his gateway to his grace. And grace was the gateway to Jesus. And an intimacy with Jesus was his gateway to changing the world. Jesus had to get Peter to a place where he could no longer rely on his own strength, but he had to rely on Jesus. God is in this place. And for many of you, God is not going to save you from porn and drugs and alcohol. Some of you, he will. But many of you in here, you know what he's saving you from? Religion. He's saving you from yourself. That's what he's saving you from. You think you're just really all that good. And that Jesus should be happy that you're on his team because you're that awesome. But I'm here to tell you, you're not. And the reason you are where you are today is only because of the grace of God. May our stories not boast in how awesome we are, but how awesome he is. So when he restores your marriage and he gives you a comeback and he saves you from drugs and alcohol and in prison and wherever else. And he saves you from maybe being in church for 10 years, but only listening and never living it out. He saves you from that. That is the gospel. And when he does that, you better point to him and not to yourself. Our story should be all, listen, I was a wreck. I was a mess, but Jesus saved me. That is our story. And let me give you our last one. We're going to wrap this up. Your comeback is never about you. Your comeback is never about you. I want to bring you to this last verse. This last verse is found in Luke chapter 22. Now, this is Jesus having a, a little chat with Peter way before he denies him. So we're going to do a little flashback here. We're going to go back in time. Before the failure, before the denial, before all that, I want you to see what Jesus, prays, what Jesus says to Peter. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, remember that's Peter, he changed his name. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. Whew. Come on, how many want that said about you? You're praying to God, Satan wanted you. Oh, yikes. Now watch this, that he may sift you like wheat. But here's what I want you to know, Simon. I've prayed for you. Come on, some of you need to hear this this morning. God prayed for you. He's praying for you. And this is what he says. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Well, guess that prayer didn't turn out right. He failed. Right? Everybody right on that one? He failed. But see, is the beauty of the gospel and of Jesus. God didn't say that only failing once was his ultimate failure. Because the way that God works is he allows us to fail, but he gives a comeback because that's not the ultimate failure. As long as you get back up, you have not failed. And even though Peter failed, he did fail. In the end of it, he did not fail. Because in the end of it, he was murdered on a cross upside down because he didn't fail. And the reason he didn't fail was because Jesus was praying for him. But I want you to see this. This is so powerful. Not only was Jesus praying for him, he says, when you have turned again, so when you have your comeback, when your comeback happens, this is what I want you to do. Strengthen your brothers. Your comeback is not about you. It's never been about you. You know what your comeback has always been for? For other people's comeback. 
God gives you a comeback for somebody else's comeback. You know why God rescues your marriage? Just not so your marriage could be awesome, but that you can rescue other people's marriages. Y'all with me here? And Peter would go on to be one of the greatest apostles in all of the church because his comeback was something that allowed to have other people's comeback. And when you get your comeback, you need to have somebody else have a comeback. Last night, I'm bathing my youngest son, Joel, and uh, I'm taking a shower. And he goes, Dad, he says, do I still have that scar? And I said, yeah. For those that may or may not know, my son had open heart surgery uh, a, a little over a year and a half ago. And he's got about an eight-inch scar from the top of his shoulder blade all the way down to about here. And he's got this scar and it runs down. He's like, can I feel it? I said, yeah. So I was showing him. He said, Dad, when's that going to go away? When am I not going to have that anymore? I said, son, it's never going away. You're always going to have that. I said, you know why you're always going to have it, though? The beauty about a scar is one summer when you're swimming, you got your shirt off and someone's going to look at you and have that big old scar on your back. And they're going to ask you, what's that scar about? And guess what? You're going to have a story to say. And you're going to talk about what God did and how he saved your life and how you had this disease. Because your scar is now a story. Now listen to me. We've all been wounded in here. We all have wounds. We've all been cut up, beat up, hurt. But if you don't allow Jesus to heal the wound, it will stay a wound. It will fester it will grow and it'll eventually kill you. But if you'll let God heal that wound, maybe somebody hurt you, maybe something in your marriage, maybe something that you did that you just can't get past. If you'll let God heal that wound, that wound will become a scar and that scar will become a testimony of God's faithfulness. Are y'all with me here? And next, listen, next weekend, setting all this up, Next Sunday, I'm going to sit on this stage with a number of people that come to our church here that have some scars. And they're going to personally share their stories of how God gave them comebacks. Some of these, they're still in their comeback. Because how many know sometimes a comeback is not just right then. It's a journey. It's a journey. So I invite you to come back for comeback part three next week. We'll talk about that. But I want us to bow our heads all across this room. We're going to close this out. Come on, how many know we're a community of comeback people? That's what we are. And there's some of you right now in this place that you need a comeback. And as we've been talking about this story of Peter, it has just resonated in your heart. Maybe you've been the type of person who just said, I will never, I'll never do this. I, and, and you're living in that I'll never right now. Maybe you, you've, you've kind of lived your life running your thing, doing your thing, doing it how you want to do it. And, and now life has just beat you up. Maybe you're in a situation that's just absolutely hopeless. Maybe you, you've done the, man, I'm going fishing. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with this. And you've stopped trusting and believing. And God's wanting to breathe hope in this house today. If that's you in this place, and you say, you know what, Pastor Josh, I, I need a comeback in this area. There's an area in my life where I need hope. I need him to come. Maybe it's a failure. Maybe it's a shortcoming. But I need him to show up more than anything. If that's you... Come on, boldly. We just throw your hand up in the air. Come on, that's me. Pray for me. Come on, hands going up all over the place. All over the place. Wow. Come on, this is a house of comebacks. The only thing that prevents our comeback is our pride. So God, we're honest right here.
We need it. We need it. Come on, keep your hands up all across this room. Father, I pray right now for every hand that's raised, God. Lord, this hand doesn't just represent weakness. God, this hand represents that in our weakness, you are strong. God, this hand represents that in our failures, you come through. God, this represents that when we've blown it, God, you fulfilled your promise that you would go before us. That was the promise of Peter. You would go before him and you would pay for that. So God, I thank you for every person in this place that has their hand raised this morning. God, honest before you saying, I need you. I need you. God, maybe it's forgiveness. God, maybe it's healing. God, maybe it's, it's, it's resentment that's been there so long. God, I pray, Lord, that this wound would turn into a scar, which would turn into a story. God, do that in this house this morning. Bring healing in marriages, healings in lives. God, I pray, Lord, for those believing for comebacks, maybe for a spouse, for a a wayward child. God, I pray that this would be the year of comebacks for people in this place. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You know, the, the ultimate comeback, of course, is salvation. It's the greatest comeback. It is the greatest comeback. And God offers this to us today. He offers it to you. That you've lived your life the way you've wanted to. And God offers you a new way, a better way, a chance to be born again, a chance to have your spirit come alive. And I know there's, you know, in a, in a place like this where there's hundreds of people, there's a number of you that you've, you've gone wayward from the Lord for years. God's offering you a comeback today to be born again. And I, I, I want to pray over you and for you. And I want us just to all just to kind of pray this prayer together. I'm going to read it out loud to you. But I want us just to kind of pray this prayer together. And I want us to just boldly mean this for everybody. Whether you've said this a hundred times or this is the first time. Come on, can we mean this? Can you just say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe on the cross. You took my guilt. You took my shame. You died for it. I believe you faced hell so that I wouldn't have to go there. You rose from dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today I turn away from my sin to be born again. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.